we've been in this conversation a few weeks. Encourage you, uh, if you've missed it, go out online, graceoha.org, and you can watch it and listen to it there. Uh, Pastor Ryan started it, and then I picked it up last weekend, and uh, we've been digging at it. Last weekend, we started to talk about <clears throat> uh, what are we called to? What is the point of the Christian life? And what is God, uh, what did he save us to? What does he call us to? And what are we to be doing if we're a follower of Jesus Christ? And I showed you this graph last week. You can look up on the screen here. And we said that the, the Christian life kind of works like this. Being a follower of Jesus works like this. Uh, the dotted outline, the Bible says that before I interact with Jesus, so the cross is Jesus, right? So before I interact with the cross... Uh, the Bible defines me a little bit. And the Bible says that every human being, before we receive salvation from Christ, from Christ alone, Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus says he's the only way of salvation. The Bible says that before that, I am dead in my trespasses and sins. So I'm in spiritual darkness. I'm spiritually dead. Uh, I'm lost. There's all kinds of different ways that you would say it, but that's the natural condition of man. All have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard, and there's no way for us to come to, to God unless we go through Christ. So Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he raises again. In his death on the cross, he paid for all of our sins, the Bible says. He took the sins of the world on his shoulders, and it's through Christ and Christ alone that we're able then to receive forgiveness. And when I agree with God that I'm a sinner, and I agree with God that Jesus is the only path to salvation and I accept Jesus as my Savior is the way that we'll say it a lot. Uh, the Bible says that I am born again. That's Jesus' words again. He's talking to this guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and Jesus uses that, that picture. He said, you've got to be born again or reborn. So when I'm born again spiritually, I'm, I'm revitalized spiritually, I'm resurrected spiritually, I move from darkness into light, I move from death into life and that's the beginning of my spiritual journey, and that's the idea of infancy. If you look there again, I'm born and I'm a spiritual infant. And at that phase of spiritual growth, because I can only grow spiritually after I've been born again. You can be spiritually minded before you're born again, but you can't grow or deepen your relationship with Christ unless you're born again. So a spiritual infant, their, their big aha is I'm not going to hell anymore, right? So if you've been born again, and you're like, I'm not going to hell, woohoo, right? That's good stuff. You can get a tattoo. That's like a, a good, good thing to know that. I, but once I'm a baby, I don't stay a baby, right? That's not the way that growth or maturity works. So we say we have to mature out of that, out of just that being the, the fullness of our interaction with God, I'm not going to hell anymore. And I do that by graduating or maturing into being a student, and a student is somebody who starts to learn the Bible. So if you weren't raised in church like a lot of us weren't, and you find out, oh, man, I, I don't have to go to hell anymore. That's great news. What else does God have to say? Because not going to hell is not the point of the Christian life, right? That's a benefit of it. But what else does God have to say? What's his heart? What's his mind? What does the Bible say, right? And I start learning the heart and mind of God, primarily through the Word of God, and I mature into that childhood phase. Now, even there, I don't stay there. So as I, after I'm a student, I mature then into what we would call adolescence. Babies don't stay babies. Kids don't stay kids. Now I'm going to mature into adolescence, and I, that, I, that phase of growth is marked by being a servant. I'm taking what God says, and now I'm bringing it into my life. How do I 
live what God says? How do I become what God wants me to become, right? So if you know, if you know the Bible inside and out, that does not mean you're spiritually mature. The Bible says that even the demons know that, right? So the, the idea that I, I know the Bible backwards and forwards, that does not equal spiritual maturity. That equals knowing the Bible's backwards and forwards. It's a good thing as long as it produces servanthood within us, that we're taking on the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ and starting to live the way that Christ would have us to live. But even that is not full spiritual maturity because that could just settle into doing good things and being a nice person. The target, the bullseye of it then is what we call being a co-laborer with Jesus or a friend of God. It's spiritual maturity when I start to be an adult and I start to parent other people. In other words, I help other people be born again. Now I'm a disciple who makes disciples. That process now is secular, and, and it's, it's causing me to live the way that Jesus has called me to live. And that's where we want to land, and that's what this series is all about. We're going to talk this weekend, next few weekends, and we talked last weekend, really about those last two positions. What's it look like to be a servant? What's it look like to be a co-laborer? How do I embrace those deeper ends of my relationship with God? And we said this series will do a couple things for you, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, uh, we're gonna define for you what you're getting yourself into. Because being a follower of Jesus is not just getting out of hell. That, that's like a benefit. But Jesus doesn't say, who doesn't wanna go to hell? Come join me. Jesus says, who will follow me? Who wants to follow me? So there's a bigger definition to that than just don't go to hell anymore. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're an infant and you've been there a long time, now if you accepted Christ like two weeks ago, you're supposed to be an infant. Don't worry about that. You're right where you need to be. If you're a student and you've been there a long time, you're a child, and you look and say, I've known the Bible inside and out for 40 years. I'm spiritually mature. No, you're not. You just know the Bible inside and out. You're a good, you're a good student. You have a great memory. That doesn't equal spiritual maturity. If you haven't translated into a servant, and if you have not translated into a spiritual parent, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're not leading other people to Christ, you're not spiritually mature. So how do we get to that place? And how does that become a regular part of our life? And how do we lock into it? We talked about this last week, and we drew it out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you some stuff. Paul's talking on God's behalf, and he says this. He says, uh, verse 15, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, he died, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, okay? So that's the salvation process. I moved from death to life, dark to lightness, uh, darkness to light, right? I was saved. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I'm not going to hell. And more than that, I'm now living for the one who died for me. I no longer live for myself. That's the mark of someone who has become a follower of Christ. I accepted forgiveness, and I now live for the one who died for me, right? This is important, right? At that point in your life, if you have done that, at that point in your life, hell is off the table, Hell is off the table. We're no longer worried about going to hell. I'm a new creation. So what's the point of the Christian life? If the Christian life isn't getting my act together so I can go to heaven, 
right? The whole reason Jesus lived and died and rose again is because we can't get our act together to go to heaven. Jesus had to do that for us. Salvation is a gift. So if, if, the, if that's not the point of the Christian life, if the point of the Christian life isn't just to grow up and be mature and be nice, if that's not the point of the Christian life, what's the point of the Christian life then? If hell's off the table, what's the point? Well, Paul answers it. I've been reconciled to God. That word reconciled just means I've been made right with God. I'm in, the, I'm in a good relationship with God, the one I was created to be in, okay? We've made right with God and, look at verse 18, and Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, chapter 6, verse 1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Who's the us? We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation or the work of helping other people get right with God. Another place in the Bible calls it the work of the evangelist. We've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. What's the message? The message is that you're a sinner and there's a loving God who's out to love you. He's not out to get you. If God wanted to get you, he would have got you by now. It's not that hard, right? He's out to love you. He came, he gave his only son. He lived, he died, he rose again so you could be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. That's the message of reconciliation. You're the ambassador of Christ, right? Uh, You're the co-laborer. Who's the us? Who's the we? If you're a follower of Jesus who has received the forgiveness of your sin and now you live for the one who died for you, you're the us, you're the we. That is the point of the Christian life. Why do we live an obedient life or a pure life or all these things the Bible talks about? It's so that the ministry and the message of reconciliation can be more powerful and more clear and unencumbered in us. You're the us, you're the we. You're an ambassador. You're a co-worker. That is where we need to move in our spiritual life. Now, we call that, here at Grace, we call that the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. And that comes out of a passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says this, but you, same group of people, the us, the we, followers of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into the wonderful light. The priesthood of all believers is this idea that just like in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, in the first part of the Bible, if you wanted to know God, you had to go to the priest. And the priest was the doorway to God. They would explain God to you. They would show you how to have your sins forgiven. They would interact between you and God. They would show you the heart and the mind of God. They would teach you the word of God. If you wanted to know God, you'd go to the priest. After Jesus came, lived, died, when we accept him as our savior and we live for the one who died for us and the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God now lives within me, the Bible says now you are the priest. You're the doorway to God. If people want to know God, they go to the followers of Christ. And we explain the heart and the mind of God. That's the work and the message of reconciliation. We're co-laboring with Jesus. And the idea is that as a follower of Christ, every environment I enter, I enter with the mindset of Christ. I enter to co-labor with Jesus 
to reconcile the souls of people that I meet there. That's why you go to work. That's why you live where you live. That's why you go to school where you go to school. That's why God placed you in the places that he placed you to be salt and light, to be ambassadors for Christ. Why do you have your job? Right? I ask myself that question all the time, right? I don't know why people hate their job, talk like this, but they do, right? So why do you have your job? You have your job because Christ loves the people you work with. So he sent you to help them reconcile to him. Why do you live next to the neighbor you live with? Why do those people move in next door to you? Ah, those people, I can't believe they move in. Drive a big old van, six kids, two big slobbery dogs. Why do those people live next to me? Because Christ loves that family so much that he moved them next to you so that you could help them know of his love for them. That's all by design. You're a priest. You're the ambassador. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the one that helps to reconcile people to God, okay? Now, if you missed that conversation, watch it online. You can see the whole thing next week, but I want to lay down that foundation. It's huge. This is the point of the Christian life. It's what we're called to do. Now, let's build off of this a little bit. I want to show you something fascinating. When you think about priesthood, the whole idea of priesthood is ownership. That as a priest, I walk in and I take ownership. This is this workplace is my mission field. This neighborhood is a place that I'm responsible for. That's the idea. What's fascinating in the Bible and comforting is that what God calls you to, he built you for. What God calls you to, he built you for. There's this great passage in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. You can open your Bibles there, or I even put it up on the screen for you, the one verse. Ephesians chapter 2, fascinating passage, verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 and 9 are pretty famous. If you've been around church for a while, you probably know these verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, verse 8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's the idea that Christ helped you to reconcile to him, right? Hell is off the table. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not by work. The Bible literally says, this is not by works. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. Jesus had to do all of that for us. If you've accepted salvation and you live for the one who died for you, hell is no longer an issue for you personally. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I'm saved by grace through faith, not by my works, so that no one can boast, why am I here then? What is God's plan for me? Verse 10 explains it. Great, this is fascinating. For we who, the us, the we, the ambassadors, the reconcilers, the ministers, us, followers of Jesus, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Fascinating. I am called, the point of my life is to be a minister of reconciliation, and here's the idea. God has called you and placed you in life to do this work. And he created you in such a way, he handcrafted you, he hand-built you to do this work. You are custom-made by God to be successful at the life he's called you to live. Did you catch that? You're custom-built by God to be successful 
at the life that he's called you to live, to do this work that he's prepared in advance for you to do. What's the work? The work of reconciliation, right? Now, this is not the TV nonsense where, where the pastor looks at you and says, you are special to God. So you're getting a Corvette and a Ferrari and a flat screen TV and your hair's gonna grow back. Let's be honest. If your hair was gonna grow back, your husband would have you at that church. So that's not gonna work, right? Being successful at the Christian life is not getting what you want. Being successful at the Christian life is doing what God has called you to do. And God has called you to the work of reconciliation. And you would look and say, that's intimidating. And I would look at you and say, that's right. Except that you've been custom built to be successful at it. God has designed your life specifically to help you succeed at doing this work of reconciliation. You are the handiwork of God. You have been built by him. He has prepared you in advance to do these good works that he's called you to do. Now, here at Grace, we call this process our shape. We call it our shape. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about our shape, all right? So shape just stands for this. It's all in your notes, but shape stands for this. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, or your passions, your abilities, your personality, and your life experiences. And this is what I want to show you. If you are on this graph again, and you are on this spiritual growth scale, you cannot embrace the servant portion or the co-laborer portion without embracing your shape. So that, 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 like the awareness, like I'm not going to hell, woo right? That's, that one's awesome, and you can get a hold of that. What does the Bible say? That's fantastic, and you can read the book and, and sit under some teaching. We can teach you sound doctrine. You can learn what the Bible says. But into the deeper levels of, the inter, of your interaction with God, you have to embrace this customization of your life. We call, the Bible calls it being led by the Spirit or understanding how, what God's calling is on your life. And what we're going to talk about this weekend is directly tied to those two things. Okay? Now, let me warn you. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we're going to be talking about some stuff and it's not going to instantly register with you, which is totally cool. The big picture I want you to understand is that God has prepared you on purpose, okay? That you're not this random act of humanity, okay? If you're an infant or a child, I want you to know that, that we're going to blitz you with the Bible this weekend. You're going to walk out and be like, right? I mean, it's just going to be, we're going to move through the Bible like a buzzsaw. And so you're going to hear some stuff and see some stuff you didn't know about before. If you are stuck, dispassionate, bored in your relationship with God, you will always be that until you embrace your shape. Because you weren't meant to fill your head with book information. That's not the point of the Bible. And getting out of hell isn't the point of the Christian life. Embracing your shape is how you begin to live for the one who died for you, to be the minister, to proclaim the message of reconciliation. God has built you and equipped you to do that specifically, okay? So let's look at this. Our shape. What is our shape and how does it work? And I'm going to spend most of our conversation on the first letter. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts this week in a little bit. I want to give you an overview of this and help you understand it. Then we'll hit the other letters. But we're going to camp on this one the most. So the Bible says this. When I accept Jesus as my Savior, a bunch of things happen. Right? One is I don't go to hell anymore. My sins are forgiven. That is fantastic information. It's very, very good. Another thing that happens 
is the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within me. So this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit isn't something like come and go kind of a thing. He sets up shop. The Bible says my body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we'll say God lives in my heart. There's different ways that we explain it, but that's what it means, okay? Another thing that happens is I'm called out to be a part of the spiritual entity called the church. And we're going to talk about that next weekend. What's the point of the church? Uh, God didn't give the church to the church. He gave the church to the world. And that little truth is life-changing. So we're going to talk about that next week and that you're a part of that if you're a follower of Jesus. Another thing that happens when I accept Jesus is I am given a spiritual gift, a gift from God, a birthday present from God. And this spiritual gift is given to me as a part of God making me who he wants me to be, his handiwork, his craftsmanship in my life. And it's given to me so that I can be successful at the work of reconciliation, right? Now, what are the spiritual gifts? I'm going to give you an overview. And by the time we're done talking, I'm going to show you where you can get all of this down nitty gritty and find this stuff out for your life. But let's talk in broader terms here at this gathering, okay? So what are the spiritual gifts? This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. Uh, Paul says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, what are the gifts? What's the purpose of the gifts? Here it is. The, the gifts broadly mean this. God gives you a spiritual gift. It's something that he is entrusting to you. That spiritual gift is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of others. So that God doesn't give you that gift so that you can go become a rock star somewhere. God gives you that gift so that you can serve him and help other people know him. That gift is to be brought into the broader working of the spiritual entity called the church. We're going to talk about that next weekend. But God, as he forms his church, a church is a sum total of its individual parts. So you're the church, we're the church. That gift comes into the greater working of the church, and it produces maturity, and it produces effectiveness as the church does what we're called to do. So you have a gift, but it's not yours to hoard. That gift is to be given to others. It's to help you be successful in helping others reconcile with God. And then that gift works the best, so to say, when it brings about maturity and completeness and stability within the local church, okay? So the gift isn't for you to show off. The gift is for you to be effective. Now, I put these 10 things in your notes. We're going to move through them quickly. But this is just to give us like this broad overview of what the spiritual gifts are. By the way, I drew a lot of this out of Pastor Joe's notes for a seminar that he teaches called Shape. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But he he came up with a lot of stuff. It's fantastic. But let me give you this overview. Okay, 10 truths about spiritual gifts. Number one, only believers have spiritual gifts. So if you have not yet accepted Christ, if you're not living for the one who died for you, then you don't have a spiritual gift. I I was listening to the radio on Halloween. I was driving somewhere, and it was one of these late-night talk shows where they have aliens and all kinds of stuff. And this psychic was on, and she said, I have the spiritual gift of talking to the dead. I have the spiritual gift of a medium. 
and she does not have spiritual gifts. She may have some interaction with a spirit, but I got really bad news for her. <laughs> it's not Jesus, right? So it, only those who are followers of Jesus have spiritual gifts. So you do not have a spiritual gift if you're not a follower of Jesus. You might have a spiritually, you might be spiritually minded about something, but these supernatural gifts only come from Christ, right, from the Holy Spirit, and only for believers. Second thing, every Christian has at least one. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you might say, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about my spiritual gift. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but you have one. You have at least one. You might have more than one. But God has given you a gift, right? And you need to know that and discover it and use it. So if you're a follower of Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. Number three, no one receives all the gifts, okay? No one receives all the gifts. Now, this is important. What that means is this, is there is no pro-ultimate Christian superstar, right? So you might have more than one gift, but nobody has all that. Nobody can do it all by themselves. And if somebody claims that they can do it all by themselves, they would fall more in the category of cult leader than follower of Jesus Christ, okay? So no one has all the gifts, but every church has all the gifts. So we bring our gifts to each other, and as we serve each other and then we serve the world around us because the church exists for the sake of the world all the gifts were very very well present in that situation but there's no like you know lebron james of spiritual gifts like every the guy that can do everything there's no such thing okay so you have at least one no one has all of them number four you can't earn or work for spiritual gifts so you don't get, when you accept Christ, God doesn't email you a survey, please write down your top three preferences for spiritual gifts, right? I'll be compassionate, I'll teach, but I do not want to be the giver, right? And so that's not, that's not the way that's going to work, okay? So the Spirit of God is going to assign you that gift. In fact, that's the next one, number five, the Holy Spirit decides what gifts you get, and he assigns them. Now, why would God do this? Because talk about it more next week. God builds his church, the Bible says. He builds the body. He crafts his church. And so as God looks at us corporately and calls us corporately to something, a church is a sum total of its individual parts, God will bring followers and gift you according to what the greater church needs. So the Holy Spirit assigns gifts. We don't earn them. We don't work for them. We don't get to have our preferences. Number six, the gifts are, that are given are permanent. So the Holy Spirit does not come and go, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't come and fill the room and then vacate the room. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides within you, okay? So the gifts are permanent, which is fun because it means you can build your life around them. It's a stabilizing factor, you can discover your gift, you can utilize your gift, it can become a huge part of how you live and what you do, okay? Number seven, this is a big one. I'm to develop the gifts God gives me. I'm to develop the gifts God gives me. Now, let me talk about this for a minute, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've been one for five plus years, and you've never discovered or you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, that's crazy. I love you. 
But that's crazy. Now, I, w- I want you to think about this. Remember, this is a gift. This is not an assignment. This is not a burden. This is a gift that the Holy Spirit of God looks and says, listen, we're all called to be ministers of reconciliation. You are handcrafted by God. God wants you to be successful. I'm going to gift you something to help you be successful at that. To not develop that gift, to not know that gift. I just want you to think about what it took for God to deliver that gift to you. So the Bible says that before the foundations of the earth were laid, before time and space existed, God knew you. He knows who you are. He knew that you were going to be. You are not a random act of humanity. You're not the result of a one-night stand. You're not the oops baby. None of that's true. You are here on purpose by the hand of a creator, God. The Bible says that God then, when you were conceived by your father and mother, God knit you together in your mother's womb. You were handcrafted, custom built, God's handiwork, created to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do, which means this, you were known before the foundations of the earth, you were crafted by God, God knew that you were going to respond to him, because he knows the future, right? So he knew you were going to respond to him. He built you in such a way that he placed you on the planet at this time. He created you in this way. He laid, he put you in this piece of dirt, this piece of geography, and he surrounded you on purpose with the individuals that he surrounded you with. He then sent his son, right, in this whole scheme, sent his son, lived, died, rose again, so that when someone else was doing the work of reconciliation and told you about Christ, knowing you would respond, he then gifted us, gifted you his Holy Spirit, which indwelt you at the moment that you responded. He knew you, he crafted you, he placed you, he saved you, he indwelled you, and then he delivered a spiritual gift to you. The, the idea that as a follower of Jesus, like I would not even know what that was, that's a fairly complicated process to give you a gift, not an assignment, not a duty, a present, see. So I am to, this is a big part of me following Jesus. And I'm to know that, I'm to develop that. The Bible says, I'm ready, it's a sin, to waste the gift that God gave me. Can you imagine that it's, what a way, to, to have that gift and never utilize it. To be able to be successful at what God called you to do and to never pursue it. It's a sin. Number nine, using my gift glorifies God and helps me to grow. Remember that chart? You're not gonna get into the servant and co-laborer phase if you don't actualize your spiritual gifts. That's why they're there. So I'm to develop them. I don't waste them. I don't let them sit. I don't try to use them for my own benefit. That's all a waste, right? I, it, it, it glorifies God, and it helps me to be successful at what I was custom-built to be successful with. And then number 10, using my gift without love is worthless. Corinthians says it, it's like a... a a gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise, worthless. That I bring this to my relationship with God because I love God. Thank you for this gift. And then those who love God love the people God loves. 
I love my neighbors myself, and I'm using the gift not to build myself up, not to show off in church, not to be. I'm using my gift to do the work, the ministry of reconciliation, to be the ambassador to co-labor with Jesus. This is a huge deal. And when you think about being a spiritually mature person, see, getting out of hell is awesome, but there's more. There's this work of reconciliation. Well, I know, the, I know a lot about spiritual gifts. What about this gift and that gift? Hey, I'm really good that you, that's awesome. You can quote the Bible, great memory. What's that got to do with anything? How, if you are not actualizing it, if you are not developing it, if you are not leaning in to the gift God gave you to be successful, then you're wasting your time. We only get to these deeper levels of our relationship with God as we embrace our shape, and the spiritual gifts are a huge part of that, okay? And they're given to you. It's a spiritual thing. It's not weird. It's not freaky, right? You don't manipulate the force, you know? You are empowered by God to do the work that he created you in advance to do, okay? Spiritual gifts. So that's the S. Now, let's look at the other stuff real quick because it, gets, it just gets cool from there. There's spiritual gifts. They're huge. But then the idea of shape goes on. I'm embracing my priesthood. The H in shape is this. It's your passions. It's your passions that God has given you certain passions that are unique to you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all, guard your heart for everything else flows from it. The Bible says that the heart is the center of who we are. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is the wellspring of life. And often in our culture, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the things that we're passionate about, the things that we care the most about, right? So God gives you certain passions as part of how he wove you together in your mother's room. You ever wonder why you're passionate about the things you're passionate about? It's not environmental. It's not biological, why, why are some people passionate about some things and some people are, are passionate about other things and what do I do with those passions? So I have this friend that goes to the Barberton campus. I used to have a couple friends like this and they're both weird. They're, they're both weird people. And my friend that goes to Barberton campus, you know what he's passionate about? He's passionate about board games. I think that's the weirdest thing in the world to be passionate about. So like, he like hangs out with all these other people that are passionate about board games. He, he was talking to me about this. He's like, I'm passionate about board games. I'm like, dude, bless your heart. You got beat up a lot, didn't you? As, as like, yeah. But like, he'll like invent his own board games and then he'll get together and like play board games with other people. I do not understand. Because when I think board game, when my kids come to me and they're like, can, Daddy, can we play a board game? My question is, mm, do we want to fight as a family tonight or not? Right? Go to, mm, okay. You know? So I don't, I'm just not into them that much. Right? But he's in the board games. So he's passionate about these board games, and then he loves Jesus. So he has this weird passion. He, he's, he wants to be a priest, minister of reconciliation, something he takes very, very seriously. He knows his spiritual gifts, and he's passionate about these board games. So what do you do with that? So the Bible says we have these passions. Our question is this. I can either use these passions as selfish ambitions in my life, or I can use my passions to serve Christ. So he loves Jesus very much, so he wants to serve Christ with his board game passion. So the Barberton campus is doing these board game nights, and apparently there's other people on the planet who are also passionate about these board games, right? And then he's like, you want to come? I'm like, no, not, not at all. Right? 
But they're getting together, and he's, he's reaching people. It's crazy. Now, how did he become like that? See, God created him that way. God made him that way. God custom built him. And he took that, and he embraces his priesthood, and he recognizes that God has works that he prepared in advance for him to do, and he looks and says, I'm going to take my spiritual gifts, I'm going to take my calling, I'm going to take my passions, I'm going to read, I know there's other people like this, and he's doing the work of reconciliation. Why do you have the passion, why are you passionate about what you're passionate about? Because if you're, you're, what you're passionate about is weird to everyone else who's not passionate about it. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, you're weird. As far as I know, I'm the only normal one. <laughs> See how it works? God created you that way. Spiritual gifts and your passions. The A is this, S-H-A. A is your abilities, your abilities. God made you good at certain things. Your athletic abilities or your knack with computers or your music abilities or being great with kids. Some of you are great with people. Some of you are great with money, right? You have certain abilities. Some of you can see something in your head and build it with your hands. My dad was like that, right? Where did those abilities come from? Because it's not genetic. I can't do it. Where did those abilities come from? See? And why did God make you with those abilities? You know what one of the biggest lies that we tell our kids is in our culture? We tell them this lie. We look at little Billy. We're like, little Billy, little Billy, come here, little Billy. Little Billy boy, little Billy boy, boo, little boo, Bill. And we look at little Billy and we say, Billy, you can be anything you want to be. That's a lie. You, you need to look at Billy and say, Billy, you have no prayer ever. Because it's a lie. You cannot be anything you want to be, right? My, I have a son that loves basketball. I look at him and say, son, you're never going to play. Probably not high school, no way college, and forget about the pros. You should study computer, right? I'm just being honest about it. It's a lie. You cannot be anything that you want to be. But listen, you can be exactly what God created you to be. Why would have God done that? I can't, I can't be LeBron James. It's ridiculous, right? I can't, I can't be a brain surgeon. That's ridiculous for me. I can't, I can't lead a worship band. I can't put out an album. That's a ridiculous thing for me. But how come I can do what I can do? How does the son of a factory worker and a stay-at-home mom become a public speaker? Where did that come from? It's not genetic, it's certainly not environmental. Maybe God created me this way. Maybe God created, maybe you just don't happen to be good at what you're good at. Maybe God created you, that he's building a church for himself and your abilities are needed within the church and the greater kingdom of God. Maybe you take those abilities and you link them to your passions and backtrack them through your spiritual gifts and they're all tied to embracing priesthood. Maybe you were custom made by God and that's how you became good at what you're good at. That's why that comes naturally to you and is so difficult for other people. Maybe you were knit together in your mother's womb 
created to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. The S. The S is spiritual gifts. The H is your heart, your, pa- your passions. A is your abilities, right? The P is your personality, your personality. You ever want to have fun, read the Bible and read the characters of the Bible through their personality lens. It's fascinating. Like you get the Apostle Paul, Mr. Type A. He's like, we're going to advance the gospel no matter what. Yeah! You're like, easy, Pastor Ryan, right? So you're just like, <laughs> right? Mr. Go get him, right? Why, why are you so type A? Why are you so extroverted? Why are other people so introverted? Why is that? What if it's because God created you that way and the body of Christ needs it all? If we don't have the Apostle Paul, right, the gospel doesn't move forward. Pull it forward out of the Bible. What if we didn't have C.S. Lewis? What if there never was a Tolkien? What, what if... What if these introverted people who just thought all the time, what if they never influenced our lives? What if there was never a Billy Graham who would stand up and preach to thousands? See how it works? Why are you the way that you are? God created you that way. You don't have to be an extrovert to be effective for the kingdom of God. And by the way, you don't have to be an introvert. You have to embrace who God created you to be. And you start backtracking that. Backtrack your personality through your abilities, through your passions, and through your spiritual gifts. And all of a sudden, you're tying on to your priesthood because you're custom-built, handcrafted by God. You get your spiritual, spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and then the E is your life experiences. I love what Paul says in Romans and Philippians. In Romans, he says this. We know that all things, uh, all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Then he says in Philippians, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that, this, uh, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Both of those phrases are written in the context of difficult times. Where Paul says, listen, don't worry about these circumstances. This is, all this will work out for the good because I love God. God is accomplishing something through my pain. Same things in Philippians. Now, all this serves to advance the God. Don't worry about it. If Paul was with us this weekend, he would look and he would say, oh, yeah, you know, I, went, I was beaten by the Romans. I was shipwrecked. I went to jail. You know what's so funny? <laughs> you know what's hilarious? The Romans actually thought they put me in jail. <laughs> they, they, the, the Romans thought, they, just, what they thought, they thought they arrested me and put me in jail. They didn't do that. God organized my life that way. In fact, when God didn't want me in jail anymore, he sent this earthquake, this angel, and the shackles fell off, and the door fell off, and I walked out of jail. Paul would look and say, circumstances don't control me. People don't control me. Christ always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish in my life. I was doing these things to advance the gospel. I was doing these things so that I could tell the, reader, the leaders of the Roman government about Christ. That's why John was doing this. That's why Peter was doing it. They were never in control of these things. Why do you go through what you go through? Why are there painful experiences in our life? Because God doesn't care about you anymore? 
well, that's not true. Well, I guess I'm just not doing enough good stuff. Well, wait a minute, hell's off the table. That's, the, that's bad spiritual math. That's not the way that works. Could it be because God is shaping you? Could one of the greatest gifts God gives you for proclaiming the message of reconciliation be your pain? Because when you speak from pain, you speak from a higher point of credibility and authority than when you are not in pain. Maybe it's a tool. Maybe it's part of your customization, and maybe that's why we should count it as joy. See? Experiences. Now, not all of life's experiences are negative, right? So there's these wonderful parts of life. I have a friend that got engaged on Friday. We were all shocked that he could get somebody to marry him. I mean, I blew my mind. Anyway, but what, what an incredible experience, right? Those are wonderful experiences. When your kids are born, those are incredible. I am Mr. Pro-Parent. I, I, w- I was walking around uh, yesterday, and I was walking up to these new parents, and I said, hey, can I see your permit for your baby? And they, they were like, do you get it from the hospital, or where are you? They, they don't know anything, right? Or you ever walk up to, you ever want to torture a new parent, just look at them and say, oh, that's interesting. What, what? should I take them to the doctor? I don't know what it is. That's all you got to do. It's funny, right? It's, it's ways to torment. Having kids, I am all, I, I am so excited for everyone that has kids. It is the best thing ever all the way through raising kids. I even think teenagers are a blast. It's awesome. Having a good marriage, a healthy marriage, it is awesome to have a great marriage. I was traveling Friday, and I was taking this really late flight home. And the guy looked at me, he goes, why aren't you staying the night? I said, because back in Akron, I have a soft bed and a good-looking wife. Why would I stay here in a hotel? It is great to have a wonderful marriage. These are the joys of life. Why does God give you joys? You don't deserve it. I mean, isn't bailing you out of hell, like, enough? Why do we get to have these wonderful things in life? Could it be that it's part of God customizing us, making us, shaping us? See how that works? You're shaped. You're not going to advance. You're not going to go to the deeper things. Your, life, your Christian life is going to get boring if it's all about going to church and reading the same book over and over If you want to grow, if you want to become passionate, if you want to get thrilling, do the thrilling stuff of the kingdom, it's it's moving in, and you cannot move those deeper levels if you do not embrace your shape. Okay. Now, I told you we're going to go crazy this this weekend, right? So I told you I was going to like download the Bible like crazy. This is what I want you guys to know: we have gone. Uh, way out of our way to create what we call the shape seminar shape class in fact there's a round of it happening right now and in this shape class this is where pastor joe this is where i ripped his notes off pastor joe and his team what we will do is this we will if you guys will sign up for this class we will help you discover your spiritual gifts you will walk out of that class knowing what your spiritual gifts are And not only that, we'll help you identify your personality, your passions, your ability, and your life experiences. And we will walk you through every level of that, and then we will sit down with you one-on-one, 
and help you figure out how to do the math on that when it comes to doing the work of reconciliation, okay? If you will take the time, a couple weeks, to invest in this class, all of these questions that you might have, we will help you answer those and help you to get your, your head around that, okay? So guys, listen, I want you to take this class. And at, as your pastor, I'm looking at you and I'm saying, I love you. If I think about our personal relationship, I want you to grow in your relationship with Christ. That's why I want you to take this class, okay? If you don't have your head around these things, we can't do much more than what we're offering to do, okay? Now, if you want to sign up for the class, get your phone out, open the app, and you open the app, and right there, it'll say Shape Class. Hit that button. You can register online. You can do it right now. If you don't use a, a phone or an iPad or anything electronic, I encourage you to grab perhaps a piece of parchment and a quill, and uh, you can you can uh, you can use the connection card in the program. Okay, so in the connection card, same thing. Just fill it out. Write shape class on there, and when the basket goes by later, drop it in there. We want you to take this class. Now, here, here's a little caveat. If you have not done discovery group yet, you need to do that first because it all ties together. The point of discovery group is not to assimilate you into Grace Church. The point of discovery group, we give you all the tools, all the background, infancy through adulthood. We give you all the tools to take that whole journey. And shape is kind of the, the la remember I told you it's the deeper part of it, so it's the latter part of that journey. So if you haven't taken Discovery Group yet, same thing. Use the app, open up, says Discovery Group right there. Sign up and register and be involved with it. But we want you to do this. You cannot embrace what God wants you to embrace. We'll talk next weekend. We cannot be who God wants us to be as a church if you don't embrace it. A church is a sum total of its individual parts, Okay. But guys, this, this will be life-changing. If you have never done this before, it will be life-changing for you. And who you are and how God has, has caused your life to play out and what he's calling you to will make sense as you go through the shape process, okay? Now, here's the, here's the bottom line of this whole thing. If I'm not embracing my shape, I'm never going to reach my full potential, Remember I told you that's the big picture I want you to, to see. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet and you're chasing the wind, the, the next relationship left you empty, the job promotion turned out to be a headache and now you don't have any free time even though you have money. If you're chasing the wind, you will not be who you were created to be as a human being until you accept Christ and embrace your shape. That's what you were built to do. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and the depth of your spiritual insight is I'm not going to hell anymore, that's great news, that's not the only news. You will not embrace fully who God has called you to be. You won't hit your potential. And that's where, that's where the richness of it all is, right? Until you embrace your shape. Okay, so please, asking you to pursue that. So, what if... What if you are custom built by God? What if you don't, what if you're just not a random, what if you don't just exist, what if you're custom built by God? What if your life is supposed to echo through eternity?
What if that's the point of your life? Because every single human being is going to exist forever. Every single human being is going to exist forever. It's a question of with God or away from God, heaven or hell. And what if what you do now will echo through eternity, right? Nobody's going to give a rip what you did for a living 100 years from now. Nobody's going to give a rip what house you lived in. If it hasn't been torn down and replaced, at a minimum, somebody's going to walk in and think your style was tacky. Nobody's going to give a rip. But if you do the work of reconciliation, see, and by the way, you are the evidence of what I'm saying right now. You're the proof. Who told you about Christ? Who told them? Who told them? Who told them? And you get outside the pages of Scripture, and for the most part, it's nameless, faceless people, normal people, telling normal people, telling normal people. And the reason that the gospel exists in Akron, Ohio, in 2015, is because normal people embrace their priesthood. And if you, the present presentation of the church, do the same thing, then your life will echo through eternity. Your life will have an impact hundreds if the Lord doesn't return thousands of years from now. Because the guy in the suburbs of Jerusalem, his life, her life is echoing right here, right now. It's why we exist. What if we embraced that? All right, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. And let's spend some time talking to God about it. Jesus, we love you. Help us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Help us to be responsive to you, eager to embrace what you've given us. Thank you for customizing us, for calling us, redeeming us. And God, in these moments, work deeply in our hearts. Holy Spirit, for those who don't know you yet, draw them to Christ. And for those of us who've accepted Christ, draw us to a deeper relationship. Let the scripture come alive to us and help us to see who you've created us to be. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.